Hello, it is 3 a.m. in New York, 9 a.m. in Johannesburg, and 2 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to the Expat Happy Hour. This is Sunday Schneider Bean from sundaybean.com. I'm a solution-oriented coach and intercultural strategist for individuals and organizations, and I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed when living abroad and get you through any life transition. If I asked you what a TCK was, most of you, if you're living a globally mobile life, could answer it. A third culture kid, someone who grew up in their formative years outside of their passport country because of their parents' work. But what about a parachute kid? For many people, this term is unfamiliar. And what we know from the research is that parachute kids are also an important part of our globally mobile community to pay attention to, to understand, and also to learn more about. And that is exactly what this episode is part of, our Expat Untold series. And you'll find out why this is so important for us to talk about later in this episode. So let's back up for a second before we dive in. What is a parachute kid? Well, Baoyan Cheng in their article on sociocultural adaptation of para- uh, parachute kids from mainland China in the British Journal of Guidance and Counseling defines a parachute kid as a c- unaccompanied minors or unaccompanied sojourners. And usually they are from Asian regions such as Taiwan, Hong Kong, South Korea, Malaysia, Indonesia, and mainland China. And they are dropped off in another country to go to school. Most commonly we know it's in the U.S., but increasingly it is changing into other countries as well. So the children are dropped off to go to school while their parents stay in their country of origin. Right now, we've known about parachute kids since the 1980s, and they have captured the attention of some researchers. But from what I've seen in our expat and globally mobile spaces, it is really not on the high level of the radar. And I know that this needs to change. And Danao Tano um, asked me in 2020 to join her in a conversation on third culture kids and parachute kids so that we can focus on what it means to help build their resilience. So I'm going to put in the show notes that link to that discussion with two experts so you can dive in and learn more if you want to. But beyond the research and beyond what we know from educators who work directly with parachute kids, I wanted to talk to a parachute kid myself. And that is exactly why our guest is here today. So make sure you listen to the end because there is something that, to the best of my knowledge, no one is doing research on or talking about, and my hunch got confirmed during the process of producing this episode. So our special guest today is Calvin Wijia. He is an Indonesian-born Chinese who lived in Singapore for almost two decades and the host and founder of Global Citizens. That's Global Citizens with an extra K. It's an online show hosting interviews of and for third culture kids. Those who've experienced multicultural lifestyles, including cross-cultural kids, 
digital nomads, and expatriates in order to share their experiences working and living in their host countries. So it is my absolute pleasure to have you on Expat Happy Hour, Calvin. Hi. Thanks so much for inviting me, Sunday. It's an, it's an honor after, after quite a while, actually. Uh, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing so good. So the last time we talked, I was actually so lucky to be a guest on your show. Tell the listeners, why did you start Global Citizens? Yeah, a really interesting story on that. So as Sunday mentioned in the introduction, I grew up in Singapore for over two decades. And I came back to Indonesia in like around late 2018 or early 2019. Back then, it's because I was feeling a little burnout and I wanted a change of pace. I mean, in life, we always want to keep on improving, right? And at that time, at the point of my life, I just don't feel that in Singapore, I've accomplished as much as I can. So, okay, maybe it's time for something new. So I head back home to Indonesia. And at that time, the idea was just to learn a little bit from my dad. And fortunately, uh, being having an Asian father, he is already so focused and dedicated. All right, my only son has come home. The prodigal son has arrived. So let's for he will be, I will put everything into him to make sure that he becomes my successor. And no pressure. No, no pressure. No pressure at all. So he has he executed numerous ideas at that time, one of which was actually to purchase a property. And his mindset was that because I think it's a typical practice in an Indonesian community, is that oh. You have a business, you have to have somebody who is stationed there so that you act as the person in charge of the area. And lo and behold, I'm put there. So wow. that's, I'm really out of my comfort zone. So at that time, I was just, I actually argued a lot with my parents and well, more of with my dad, not with my mom. My mom is usually the peacemaker of the two of us because there was a lot of differences. So at that time, because I only can make the best of my situation, I tried to find ways to actually find an outlet to, mm. actually, to actually counter the cultural shock. So mm. what I did was last time I used to write articles. And uh, when, when I was doing that, I do it from the perspective is that, okay, I'm going to turn this into a book. And... Mm. What I did was that in each chapter, I actually put some of the issues that I have. Then I use a pop culture as a reference to make people understand what is actually going on. Because, mm -hmm. And then I'll add on some additional theories on that. When the, I, think when, I think when I reached like around one of the last few chapters, I realized that it doesn't have a perfect flow. It doesn't do, it does, it's not good. Mm -hmm. So when that happened, uh, Coincidentally, I actually was meeting up with a friend who is a serial expat at that time. He's currently in Abu Dhabi. And when he actually saw what I was doing, he told me, you know, your perspective only comes from one perspective of our global citizens. It's just a guy who lived from a big city to a small to a country, which is still developing. So from a developed country to a developing country. Uh, it doesn't represent the entire viewpoint of global citizens or like, for example, like all of the type of guests that I've invited, 
digital nomads, yourself, expatriates, it's not represented the whole perspective. So I, when I was reflecting on that, I understand, I get where he's coming from. And yeah, I do agree that it's only one side of one side of the coin. Uh, coincidentally, a week after that, I actually head back to Singapore for a short break. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was attending a networking event while waiting for my friend who's working. So in that event, I actually met a dear... I actually met two TCKs, actually. One of whom I actually kept in touch. We become really good friends. But one of the person leaves me both a positive and a negative impression. Uh, in that networking event, there's a lady called Zai. Uh, she is actually an international speaker. She's a two-time Amazon best-selling author. And one of the TCK, one of the TCK, who, he, the one who left me with a negative impression, actually said this to her. Uh, in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. You've done two books only and here you are at the stage making a good living out of it. I've done eight books and here I am still struggling. So I was like, okay, that's just too much, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you are, that's not being, being too direct. That's rude. Mm-hmm. This is her event and you are trying to take the spotlight. Mm-hmm. But then I, when I actually talked with him a little bit more, I found out that he actually wrote books about his personal experience growing up as a TCK uh, from growing up in Los Angeles to returning back to Singapore. And I, and I actually reflected again. It's like, oh, okay. I was, I'm actually doing the exact same thing. And if I just do it the same way that he does, trying to take my chance and just to publish something without having any idea, I'm going to end up like him. Hmm. So in that very moment, I actually decided, okay, I have to I have to do something different. I have to do it something differently because I can't I'm not I don't want to end up like him. Right. No no disrespect to the guy but yeah. Right. What a turning and, point. Yeah, I it mean, is. It sounds like it it started from really a creative way to meet a need because you were feeling literally isolated, right? Language-wise, physically yep. from a city, culturally, um and then also watching who you what emotional state you don't want to be living in. You don't want to be living in that resentment. And I'm also hearing that you want to include more perspectives. That's so fascinating. Um, Wonderful. So tell me, this is, this is something I'm so interested in the show you've, you've talked about, like you said, you're including a lot of voices between cross culture kids, digital nomads, expats, TCKs. And this is also one of the things I think that we have in common. I want to be able to talk about um, the many ways that people live abroad and do global life. And that's why I have you on today's show, because we're talking about a topic that I don't think people actually know about. That's why we did a conference with Danao Tanu last year on the topic of parachute kids. And that's why I invited you here. The audience now knows what a parachute kid is, but I want to hear from you. When did you realize you were a parachute kid? Yeah, I inadvertently realized that I'm a parachute kid actually on my first day of school in Singapore. Mm. See, uh, this is actually... uh, I rarely tell about this story, but this is actually my fondest memory of my first day in Singapore. Mm-hmm. So back then in Singapore, every morning from when you're in your elementary years all the way until you're the equivalent of a high school year, you have to come to for morning assembly. You mm-hmm. have to 
sing the Singapore's national anthem and your tertiary education onwards then. So back then on my first day of school, uh, my only guide was my cousin who has been in Singapore for several years. Back then, he's also a third culture kid, by the way. And we, and I don't know what to do. I really mm-hmm. don't know. How old were you at this time? I was 11. I was 11, 11 years old. Okay. Yeah. Just, just so, quick. So does that mean you left Indonesia? Your parents, yeah. did they physically drop you off at school or did they fly you out? No, uh, they fly me out. They fly me out. Uh, they actually, we, when I was, I actually had fell in love with Singapore at that time uh, because I was having a holiday with my mm-hmm. cousin. I was staying with my aunt and my cousin and I love the country so much that because it's different. It's like, mm-hmm. there's a certain atmosphere to it that I love and there's something about it that makes me want to, okay, I think I can succeed more here. Mm. So at that time, my parents left me there for quite a while for to feel adjusted. And naturally, I went to school when, this, when, when it started. So, okay, so, so let me just, I need this for context. So sure. because with Parachute Kids, some are, are flown out and go to boarding schools, some are flown out and stay with host families. Yep. You were flown out, but you were able to stay at your cousin's place. Yes, with my relatives actually. With your yeah, relatives, my okay. And my cousin. So instead of, instead of host family, uh, my mm-hmm. host family is my own blood. Your actual family, perfect. Yep. So t- your first day of school, and then what happened? So I actually don't understand what I'm supposed to do because my cousin only dropped me in my classroom because he was late for class uh-huh. himself. So I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do? I don't get it. And firstly, I wear the wrong uniform on that day. That's one. <laughs> and I actually am old, two years older than my, my, my classmates at that time because I took Mandarin for my mother tongue, which mm. is something that I did not learn before. So in order to make it easier, they allow me to go down two years. Right. So, okay, uh, I'm already bigger than most of my classmates. I got the wrong uniform. I don't know what to do. Then <laughs> I only hear the word assembly and everybody seems to head downstairs. Okay, I'll just follow along then. Uh, thank God they actually put a place card whereby the student, the each of the classes are placed. Mm-hmm. So okay, I took a seat, and then apparently we have to take attendance. When my attendance list come, I was looking at it it's like, uh, I, because I'm a new kid and I can speak English at that time, but my English was still really fluent. I'm not very comfortable in speaking English mm-hmm. at that time because in Indonesia we rarely used it. Mm-hmm. So when I was looking at it, none of these names. None of the, why are all of these names so strange? They all mm. sound like they are all uh, later on. I found out they are Chinese names, Malay names, or some other foreign names and the Indian names. But all of them look so strange and out of place. So uh, at the last part is where there's an empty column. I'm supposed to put my name. So mm-hmm. I was already feeling really insecure. Right. Since I was out of place, right, in the class. Right. So I put my name, Kelvin. Then I put my Chinese surname which is Huang. Mm-hmm. And the attendance list was passed back to my teacher at that time. And she was introducing me to the class later on. He, she was looking at my name. It's like, Kelvin Huang. Mm-hmm. Um, did you did we get the wrong name? Uh, no, ma'am. <laughs> That's my real mm-hmm. name. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I think she just let me off since I was the new kid. Uh, this is actually something that, that allows me to remember years later that there's something 
different with different cultures, with different kind of environment. And I only feel the immediate impact at that time as an adult when I repatriated back to my passport country is because I usually went back and forth between Indonesia and Singapore, but that's only for a short period of time. And maybe at most it's a month or two, but not until what people would consider a permanent basis. Only mm -hmm. then when I come back then, I feel the giant immediate shock. It's like, oh my goodness, this is really different from what I was used to growing up. It's like, it's night and day. It's mm -hmm. completely topsy-turvy. So that was something that became a challenge for me to overcome. I just am imagining, you know, being 11, my children are in that age range and that's a pretty big first day of school. <laughs> so you knew some, you were different from the very beginning. Tell me about the impact of not having your parents around. You did have your family around and a cousin around. How was it going through the school system and not having contact? I don't know how often you had contact with your parents while you're going to school. Uh, in my first few years, every Sunday, I will call my parents. Mm -hmm. in my first two to three years but after a while i kind of just got used to it so it just became normal to you when you did you you didn't probably have the words parachute kid at the time when did you no. actually hear the term parachute kid actually when i first spoke with you really <laughs> yes, and how did that actually, impact you when you had a uh, name for it how did it make you feel to be fair it's this um i actually heard parachute kid about i Thing around a year before I started Global Citizens, uh, uh, when I was still writing articles at that time, before I convert the style into a podcast. Mm -hmm. So, but I thought that I was not a parachute kid because I thought parachute kid means you have to go to boarding school or mm -hmm. when you mm -hmm. are you have already been there in the country for a while, then mm -hmm. you actually then the parents left and left and left you to finish your own education for a while before rejoining them. So I thought, okay, maybe I did not fit in this criteria. I know it, when I was reading the TCK book uh, by Dr. Van Rieken and the Pollock Fathers and Sons, I know that I'm, a, I'm, an, ed, I'm an educational cross-cultural kid. I know I'm a son of a domestic TCK. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that I just fall under the category of others, under the original TCK model. Mm -hmm. So, okay, that's what I always decide myself to be. I called myself a third culture kid is because firstly is that I always feel that growing up outside of my own supposed third culture, I see the world in a third person point of view and mm -hmm. I live in it. That's how, that's my definition of it. Mm -hmm. And this is actually something that was taught to me by a friend of mine uh, is that for third culture kids is that since you don't grow up between the two homes that you know of, you seek a third one. So, okay, mm -hmm. that's my definition of TCK. I only found out the clearer definition when I actually spoke with you. So mm -hmm. when you told me that, oh, actually, pressure kid is the same kind of profile as you. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, <laughs> cool, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting. And by then, I've already done it for a while, but in a sense, it just become a sense of a relief. But mm -hmm. because at that time, I've, I've been doing pro contents to represent TCKs and the uh, global citizens community in general for like over a year. To me, it's just something that is a brand new information. Right. And it's something that 
it just it makes you feel relief, I guess. But at the same time, it's not something like such a giant primer kind of it because I'm so used to hearing the term consistently that oh, right. okay, okay. Now I know there's a clearer definition for it for myself. Speaking of relief, I have someone that I know was on the call for the parachute kid event that we did with the families in global transition last year. And in hearing that term, the person actually broke out in tears because it helped give language to the challenges that they felt. And that's what I think is so interesting. And, And sometimes it's like the revelation that people have had when they heard the term third culture kid and they now that they know what they are and have an identity, have a name, and also to know you're not the only one going through that. I also think about, you know, this idea of a parachute kid, most of the research is done from um, East Asian countries going over to, let's say, the United States. But we also, living on the continent of Africa, I know a lot of families that send their kids away for education and spend time with their aunties or other people that they trust so that they can have another life. So I think, I think from the research perspective, I'd love to see the definition of parachute kid go a little bit deeper to see what other ways that kids are educated outside of the supervision of their direct parents. Right. So what do you, what was hard about being a parachute kid? First thing is uh, personally for me is mm, there are certain things that I think a third culture kid could have easily related to is because there's a certain stereotype that is associated with us. Mm-hmm. Or one thing is that growing up, uh, if when you come from Indonesia, they assume you are rich, which mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is, well, I don't like that kind of label. I mean, what does it matter? It's not like, mm-hmm. are you going to treat me differently now? If you mm-hmm. know what my financial status, that's some of the stereotype that could be associated to it. And... Along with that, it's actually, it's something that I felt in adulthood is because when growing up as a, well, I think you mentioned earlier, you mentioned earlier on what it feels like on my first day of school without my parents or et cetera, right? So at that time was because I felt as I grew older, yeah, I mean, I stay with my, with my own actual blood relative with my aunt in my first 10 years or so in Singapore. But later on, when you actually reach adulthood, you realize that your, even your parents and their siblings do not have the same style of mindset and mm. the same kind of approach. That's and hard. Was, yes, it is. It is. It is really, really hard. And as I mentioned, I have a ton of argument with my parents at that time when I returned, well, primarily my dad. My mom is mm-hmm. usually a lot more accepting of it. But because the, and here's the, and I think it's this, a lot of parachute kids, of course, would naturally come from East Asia to go to a Western country to acquire more knowledge, yeah? Mm-hmm. So in a sense, we develop, a, a, in a sense, a more hybrid kind of approach to life is because or and a different or a different kind of mindset is because we uphold a certain asian values that we have been raised with but we approach things in a way that may not be too accepted in the eastern right. part of the country like you and can't we, be straightforward 
for like a certain Asian country, and they they really they really really have a negative stigma on that. Well, what I when I think about this, you know, one of the things I want to ask you about is advice you have for parents um, who are choosing this approach with their kids, because essentially, the the positive intention is to create a better life for your child and a, and more opportunity. And I think there's a little bit of um, a double-edged sword there of, and stay exactly the way we are culturally, right? It's impossible exactly. to grow and stay this exactly the same at the same time. Exactly. So what advice would you have for parents who are choosing the parachute kid approach for their children? Okay. Uh, I actually want to say some, I actually had a discussion about this with a group of my with a fellow group of DCK content creators at that time. The thing is, is that for third culture kids is that, he, is that they have no choice when they actually go to a new country is because of a parent's job. So they develop that approach to the new home and who they are is like they, are, they absorb the culture and it's like a Lego pieces in a sense, if you want to mm-hmm. call it, or I don't know, kids are calling it Roblox. I don't know what kids are doing it these days. I'm too old for that. Uh, what happened was that is because they, they acquire the culture and a certain approach in the new country for a parachute kid is that for one thing is for parents, I want you to, I want parents to actually realize that you gave them the opportunity to go to a new place to make a better or to make it into a better future to give them a better chance at a better better future but you are not but you have to accept that they are not going to be like you mm-hmm. they are not going to approach the same way as you they may not think the same way as you they may think in a sense in what could be much more pragmatic to them or depends on which country that they they are sent to. Mm-hmm. Or one thing is that you have to acknowledge it. You can't, you can't accept that they are going to be an exact carbon copy of you. That's mm-hmm. one. That's hard and to accept. That's hard to accept for people. Exactly. Yeah. It's really, really hard to accept that. Is because, uh, as I mentioned, I am a son of a, a domestic PCK. My dad knows my, wherever my dad goes, he brings the very same, the, he knows where a certain root of his is. Mm-hmm. So he carries the same kind of traits and principle wherever he goes. And mm-hmm. most of the time, it's, uh, it's still domestic anyway, but he has never dealt with other countries, actually right. internationally. Uh, for a parachute kid, they have the opportunity to deal internationally. So mm-hmm. as a result, even though maybe there is a certain part of you that has been imparted, the certain values that you taught your kid. But the thing is, is that it's not always going to be 100%. They're going to be like you. And doesn't mean that if let's say they approach your business contacts or somebody that you're familiar with, they're going to approach it the same way as you do is because that's, they are, they have the capability. They at one point have managed to be able to be exposed to an environment outside of your own your own bubble so they already know what it's like so may may not be able to do it immediately and when at you are when you are at a young age it's not an easy thing to do and right. it gets better over time as you get older but you have to be understanding of that and this is something that is especially crucial 
around the age of 10 to around the age of 18. The reason being is that this is their formative years. Right. And, if, and so it's no surprise that during their formative years, they're going to be formed by the cultural yeah. values so that they exactly. need to be really aware what they're doing, that it's, it's going to change the relationship and change the cultural hybridity of, of their child. While they, they might welcome some of those changes or might be changes that are harder. What about for educators? What about for teachers who teach parachute kids? What advice do you have for them? Uh, this is something that is universally applicable. Kindness. That's one thing. See, mm. here's the, uh, I already said earlier on my first day, I write a fake name. I write a counterfeit surname. And when my <laughs> teacher was looking at it, like, what the, what mm. is this? Why does your name look different than the what I was told? I was like, uh, yes, it's mm. the same one, ma'am. But the thing is, is that after a while, People never really care about my surname. They just see my full name, Calvin. It's easy. Okay. People just remember me as Calvin. Then, okay, I eventually I'm comfortable enough to write with my own birth name. Mm -hmm. So I was really, uh, I was really thankful. She was just, she was really a lot more, she was, she was okay with it because I think she get it. Uh, he's a new kid. He's mm -hmm. feeling jittery. He's nervous. And mm -hmm. you just want to fit in at that so time. Good. So, so good. Yeah. So making a, the hard day. This is another conversation we've had around parachute kids of teachers and educators really need to understand there's so much that they don't know that this idea of, of being very careful about making assumptions. Um, Absolutely. Because if you are a parachute kid, you don't know what cultural background they might have or what internal challenges are going through. We talked about some of the hard stuff um, for you, but what did you gain? What do you think you gained as a result of growing up as a parachute kid? Uh, one of the thing, I used this term on my show before, it's called the global vision. So is that in a sense, <laughs> this could go two ways actually. It has both a positive end and a negative end. The reason being is that I understand now that my problems, there are problems bigger than my own and mm -hmm. that there are certain issues that are universal. It's not something that I can just accept if I had just grown up within one country is because especially in a developing country, people will be too focused on like on surviving the day-to-day -day basis. Whereas if you're in a developed country, your focus is always on productivity. So I have the, I, in a sense, I have the luck to mm -hmm. have grown up within this two kind of environment that makes me realize that we all are at the end of the day, we are just people. Maybe mm -hmm. we have a different way to approach a certain things that people may deem as respect, love, or any kind of emotion. But the thing is, is that this thing is at the end of the day is universal. So when you approach a certain issue is that you are able to accept it in a more global scale is that right. you tend to realize that when you do something, uh, it could be some, it could be impactful universally, or it's just some, or no matter how small it is, there's going to be an impact to it. On the other hand, at the same time, that became uh, your own way of trying to be trying to debate in a sense mm -hmm. is because there's a certain things that is done 
at where I am at, whereby I just don't like it. Whereby I just think it's redundant. It it, it takes too. It takes unnecessary time. Well, there's a certain stigma with Chinese Indonesian, in fact. So, I'm already a Chinese Indonesian. So, in a sense, uh, there is a certain stigma to it attached mm-hmm. to it. And the thing is, is that now I have a differing mindset that come from a developed country. So. Mm-hmm. It became a double jeopardy, if you want to call it. Right. Is because right. now you have larger targets and people who would misunderstood you or unfairly they misjudge you. Is because yeah, you are completely different from the norm. Right. Yeah. That's and that's something I assume you'll have to navigate throughout the rest of your life as you navigate between your family who stayed and your family that's abroad. And your Indeed. community. I, we, I know that our time is coming to a close here quickly. If people want to find out more about you, the links in the show notes. Yeah. For those who are discovering that they belong into this category of parachute kid for the very first time, what is one last word of advice you have for them? Be patient. Be patient. Growing up multiculturally is the biggest blessing you can ever have in your life. However, it's not going to be an easy kind of journey when you are really young because you not only have to deal with your identity, you have peer pressures, you have social issues, you just want to fit in, you want to be liked by people. And it came as a disadvantage in a sense when you were younger is because I... I remember when you were doing your episode with the now, mm-hmm. in the opening part, you mentioned about kids who are going to be going to graduate and then they have to stand behind the country flags and you mm-hmm. don't know which country flags do you belong to right. since there's several of it. But this is a, just a certain, in a sense, it's a, not an, even an obstacle. It's a learning opportunity. It's a growing part. And the more, the, as you get older, uh, growing up multiculturally is the biggest blessing that you can have. However, yeah, it's not easy. Be patient and do find outlets, do find your community. Also find an outlet for you to be able to express yourself because it can be really tough when you were younger. I was a loner as a kid until I was in my preteen back then. I really was a loner. My, I remember one of the, a mentor of mine, uh, actually, one of my upperclassmen actually remember seeing me that why do you always sit on one side? It's because I just don't feel I fit in with my mm. peers at that time. I always sit on one corner uh, on the stairs and maybe with one, a friend or two who actually are also international parachute kids. But the thing is, is that most of the time I'm a loner is because I just can't feel that I belong. I just don't fit in. So, yeah. It's always good to have some kind of emotional outlet so that you can express yourself so that people actually, so that in a sense, people not being there may not be too much of a pain to you, but at the same time, it can be something that is comforting because at Mm -hmm. least you have a physical proof or evidence that this international life that you have led is valid and it's real. Thank you so much for for sharing that. It's been amazing having you on here, Calvin. Thank you so much for being part of Expat Happy Hour. 
So there you have it. Insight directly from a parachute kid. And that's why I wanted to shed more light on the topic. Because as we've just seen, having one person's experience go from untold to shared can create a ripple effect of awareness, hope, and useful strategies. In fact, when this podcast was being produced, someone on my team wrote me a message on Slack and said, um, I think I'm a parachute kid. <laughs> and this confirmed my hunch that the technical definition of parachute kid, of being sent away um, from your home country while your parents stay in their native country so you can be educated in a new context, matches what I see a lot on the continent of Africa. So I'm curious for those who are doing research out there, how much research has been done and have this sort of family arrangement been ever researched in the African context? I'd love to hear more from those who are doing research on the subject. This is Expat Happy Hour with Sunday Schneider Bean. Thank you for listening. I will leave you with the words with John C. Maxwell. Life is a matter of choices and every choice you make makes you. Um. <laughs>